Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, where each week we discuss new ideas and tactics to help you succeed in business, relationships, and life. And now your host, Tim Stoddard. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddard. Welcome to the Tim Stodds Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm very excited about this week's interview. My guest this week is Louis Nichols. Louis is the co-founder and evangelist for Sparkloop, which is a groundbreaking new platform that is helping entrepreneurs grow their newsletters by doubling or even tripling their subscribers. Sparkloop is a referral program that enables newsletter creators to give out prizes and incentives in exchange for referrals. In this conversation, Louis and I talked about how Sparkloop was created and why this simple interface is what allowed it to become the dominant product in the space today. In addition, Louis and I went in-depth about his process, his beliefs, and his personal strategy. Louis believes in focus. He doesn't distract himself with shiny objects and prizes. He is all in on his commitment to growing Sparkloop. Finally, we talk about how the concept of deep work has impacted him while he grows his company, and the balance between being focused on the work that moves the needle while also giving yourself permission and space to do some of the tedious tasks that are required in growing a business. I loved speaking with Louis. He's a really nice guy. He's building something big, and I look forward to watching his continued success. So please help me welcome my guest, Louis Nichols. Okay, uh, you ready to do this? Yeah, I've just realized, funnily enough, I have... (laughs) I, I have a habit of keeping um, like cold water in the fridge, right? So that it's cold because it's quite warm here in Portugal. And uh, I've, been, I've been using uh, empty glass beer bottles. So I'm going to be <laughs> swigging from this old beer bottle. So I'm sorry for that, but it is water, nice. I promise. So the first impression that people are going to get on the video yeah. is you chugging out of a beer bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it'll be fine. Yeah. All right, Louis. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm really, really excited to talk to you. You and I have been bouncing back and forth on Twitter, trying to get something set up. Um, you strike me as a, a really, really interesting cat. And so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. I am going to start this podcast with the same question that I ask everybody. The background photo on your Twitter bio, what is it and what does it mean to you? Um, I think you just asked me a question and my internet cut out at exactly the moment you asked the question. So this is a great start. Sorry about that. Uh, it's no good, man. I'll go back and edit it. So my question was the background photo on your Twitter bio, what is it and what does it mean to you? Yeah, my background photo on my Twitter bio, I think, and I haven't checked it in a while. I think it's my parents, two dogs. So it's a nice reminder of, I guess, <laughs> two pets that mean a lot to me. Um, I don't know why they're there, just to make me seem like more of an interesting, rounded human, considering on Twitter I spend all my time talking about business nonsense. It's nice to have a little reminder that I'm a, a real person as well, I guess. Yeah, agreed. I have a, a photo of um, a dog that I used to have as my Twitter bio, and sometimes when I think about professionalizing myself, right, I look at it and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll actually continue to be a real person for the next couple of days or so. <laughs> yeah, I put a lot of energy into pretending to be a real person. It's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, great. Well, thanks for that. All right. Um, I wanted to start this conversation with a Twitter thread 
that you actually put out this morning. I thought it was um, really telling and really important considering the philosophy that tech bros, let's call it, about deep work and about productivity and about output. Um, I loved it. And you only tweeted this about four hours ago. And as soon as I saw it, I thought to myself, this is a perfect gateway to start the show. So give me a second. I'm going to read it out loud. It says, every time I read a new blog post about the virtues of low communication, deep work for founders, my main takeaway isn't that prioritizing deep work is bad, but that some people really undervalue or struggle with non-deep work. One of the toughest lessons I learned from my very first startup is that there's a direct link between deep work and output. And this is the important part, but there's no real link between output and business value created. Uh, There's some more to it, but I I think that line is important to start with. So I agree totally. A lot of times when it comes to growing my business, the growth of the actual company happens from tinkering around, you know, little conversations here and there, little messages, stuff that isn't let me get into some Zen state and create some 20 page, like masterful product, but rather just the tiny, tiny little communications, the text messages, the chats, the ideas. Um, And for for me, like I struggle with this. Well, I shouldn't say struggle. I think about this concept a lot because there's almost, there's almost like deep work is the way to do it. And if you spend enough time on Twitter, you start bringing in these ideas and you think to yourself, like, I'm doing it wrong. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think as a founder and as an operator, I am more, my, my time is more valuable in non-deep work stuff, which is just operations. So uh, please elaborate on that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think this is, it's one of those things where we have to say everybody's different there's no like one size fits all probably, but I do think obviously there's some value to doing deep work. If you, and I'm just talking about generally kind of early stage startup business stuff. Now, what I see is that a lot of people would love deep work to be kind of the only important thing, right? They would love to live in a world where if you just lock yourself up in your room and you, logic your way through and reason and think your way through to how things should be. You can build this amazing, perfect product with pixel perfect design. And it does exactly what you think it should do and exactly what you think your customers should want. And you just spend months and months doing that. The trade-off for having that uninterrupted time of building is you lose all the communication, all the, the important information from your customers but also you lose out on all the serendipity, right? So all the luck, all the connections, all that stuff that's actually like the emotional relationship as well, that's all really important. And you end up with kind of this, maybe you've created something, right? The output that you've done is is like impressive, I guess. But does anyone want it? Are you gonna be able to get it in front of people? And is there the chance that instead of spending three months ignoring everyone else and just building something or just writing something, that maybe actually spending 15 minutes on a phone call with someone could have led to them saying, oh, I've done this before, or don't worry about writing that, that blog article or whatever. I will just introduce you to this person who can get you the same results or better, you know, within five minutes. And I think I, I'm an introvert. So 
when I did my first company, Jim Hopper, when I was 20, I want to say 23, really wanted it to be true that I wouldn't need to talk to people and I wouldn't have to like network and do all that kind of thing. And it would just be all about just me being like, you know, I would produce such good content and such a good product that people couldn't ignore me. And I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who can succeed with that. But I mean, it's way easier if you're just kind of like a nice, kind person that people want to talk to and you care about others and you spend time talking to people. It's, yeah, it's just so much easier that way, I think. I think when you mentioned serendipity, there's a non-tangible aspect to, it's like there's countless moments not just in business, but in life where I think to myself, if I was never at that particular place at that particular time, this whole new path in my life would never have taken place. And, uh, and I worry sometimes that with technology and with everybody being able to create almost their own little personal spaceships, right? Where their relationships are online, their work is online. They don't actually have to leave to quote unquote, communicate with people that we get stuck in these little bubbles and we forget the fact that business and products and marketing and all of the ways that we make a living is, and I think always will be built on relationships. We can do all the VR that we want, but at the end of the day, we still have the same brains that we've had for the past couple hundred thousand years. And those brains thrive on connectivity and relationships. And there's just, there's, you just don't get that same thing out of Slack or out of comments on, like you said, some 20 page brilliant blog article that you wrote. So how, how has that played a part in your life as somebody that is a self-described introvert? Where have those serendipitous moments to come from? Yeah, totally. I mean, just to, to expound on that, I guess a little bit, there's this concept, right, with with developers of technical debt, which is if you kind of, you know, you move too fast, you, you break things and you have to come back and fix it, right? You have over time, just your software becomes buggy and laggy and there are bits that keep breaking and it gets worse and worse until you eventually have to fix it. Otherwise you, you die. And you have technical debt, but I also think that especially in a, in a relationship, whether that's a business relationship or whatever, you also have emotional debt is what I call it, mm. or how I think of it. And it's that same concept of, yes, we could do everything just via email. And we could write these perfectly formulated like sentences and have these discussions and everything over email or in Slack or whatever. But you miss so much context from that, right? It's so easy to, un- to misunderstand what someone's saying if you don't have them on the phone or better yet, if you can see them face to face, right? A conversation is always going to be, even with the exact same words, is going to be way more effective if you do it face-to-face just because you can see how the other person's responding. There's so much that you learn that isn't just in the words. It's in the way that it's spoken and the body language and all of that stuff. I think trying to move away from that, trying to remove it doesn't work. It It just builds up and eventually that all has to come bursting out somewhere, in my opinion. It always has to come out somewhere. I, I totally agree. It, it comes out one way or the other. Um, and, and that emotional debt is better spent being paid off like little pieces at a time, as opposed to all of a sudden. I, I like that analogy. 
because it is debt, right? It's something that you owe. It's something that yeah. you carry around with me. And like you owe yourself the, I'm not trying to get too meta on this, but like, let's just call it the spirit of the universe, right? Like you're going to owe that thing, your emotional debt at one point. And so, um, and so thank you for elaborating on that. I thought that was very, very insightful. And I think a lot of people who listen to my podcast are, um, young up and coming entrepreneurs. And there's so many different people telling them so many different ways to build a company. And for me, I, I just agree. I think that relationships and just the tinkering around that isn't this idea of, you know, let me pop some nootropics and drink like this, the, <laughs> this like energy formula and fucking dive in for eight hours and be like you said, so good that people can't ignore me. I've personally never seen that happen. I really haven't. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you have just enough of them online who everyone's trying to emulate that it's dangerous, right? If it absolutely didn't work ever, then it wouldn't be a problem, but it's, it's one of those things where it just, there are just enough people who manage it that people think, okay, yeah, I could do that as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's just harder and it's, it's, I don't imagine it being as fun. I mean, I think one of the really nice things about building Sparkloop, my current company compared to ones I've done in the past is that I'm just focusing more on people and being useful and thinking about, you know, who I'm working with and who I'm trying to help. And that, I mean, that's led to investment for us. It's led to customers, it's led to partners. It led to me meeting people like Brian Clark introduced me to you and you know, it's, it's been great. And yeah, I, I think there's, you can produce great content or you can produce a great product, but it doesn't necessarily lead to trust. I don't think. Sure. And I think that trust is something that's very important that you can't, you can't get just by being very good at something. Yeah. Well said. Perfect transition. Let's talk about Sparkloop. Uh, I didn't know that you had founded companies in the past. So I, I want to touch on that later with maybe some of the lessons that you've learned and, and how you've applied it to Sparkloop. Looking on the outside, looking in, Sparkloop seems like such a no brainer idea. Like, duh, you know, like how come I didn't think of that? Um, I'm sure the execution is a big piece of your success, but even before we get there, how did Sparkloop, well, first off, what is Sparkloop? And second, how did it turn into um, an idea in your head to a manifestation of a reality for you? Yeah, sure. So Sparkloop is a referral tool for newsletters. And basically what that means is if you have an email list and you would like to grow that email list, then one of the best ways to do that is by word of mouth, right? It's by having your existing subscribers go out and share with their friends, their colleagues on social media. But obviously not many people will do that of their own accord. So the idea with Sparkloop is we make it very easy to reward and incentivize those subscribers you already have to go and share with friends basically. Um, yeah, that's what we do. I mean, we started about a year and a half ago. Wow. That's um, I thought yeah. so you're still pretty new. You guys are taking off. Yeah, we're doing okay. Yeah. It's a, we have that advantage of newsletters being kind of a, a hot thing right now. Yeah. And there isn't that much competition yet. So we're, we're pretty happy. Yeah. And then tell me about the moment that you had the idea about it and then started implementing it. Yeah, so, I mean, I definitely didn't have the idea. 
Um, so there were two of us, um, my, my co-founder Manuel as well. And cool. we had this interesting kind of genesis where I just sold my previous company about a year prior. And I was doing some consulting, kind of like the, the classic trap that founders fall into when they finish, when they sell their businesses, we don't know what to do. So we start off doing some super broad consulting and it becomes <laughs> narrower and narrower, right? As the, the inquiries come in and as the money kind of increases, your rates go up and up and you, you get narrower and narrower. And I ended up basically doing conversion optimization consulting, um, mainly for companies with email lists. So what happened was I was, um, I was consulting with this newsletter client, basically. So they had a, a large list and they'd seen the morning brew and the hustle, I think at the time who had been running this newsletter referral program that they'd built themselves. They, they built everything in house. And they asked me, Louis, do you know some way to do this? Cause you know, you know how to do referral programs. We're working with you on growth. This seems like a great fit. Can we find some software to do this as our next project together? And I turned to my friend Manuel, who was running a generic referral tool called Referral Hero that had been around for a couple of years before doing kind of, you know, the same thing that all referral tools do, SaaS, e-commerce, all that kind of stuff, right? Where you plug it in, like you've seen probably an Airbnb and um, Dropbox and all that kind of thing. And I turned to him and I said, look, Manuel, can we use this with this client that I'm working with for email lists? And he said, well, you can kind of make it work in the same way that works for Morning Brew if you do a lot of custom work, um, but it's really tricky. And even then it's not going to work so well with, with his tool. And I said, well, okay, well, how about others? And he said, no, it's the same thing. Pretty much everyone, it's, it's a lot of manual work. So I was like, well, that kind of sucks. And he said, but, you know, it's funny you asked me that because about three other people have asked me the same thing this week. Oh. Yeah. So we were like, well, that's interesting. Maybe we should explore this a bit more. And originally we thought it would just offshoot of referral hero, like under the same product. And what we realized when we were talking to customers or like early customers that we were going to work with is basically just that even though it sounds like it's the same thing, you know, why would a referral tool for newsletters be really be any different technically than for, um, you know, for, for SaaS or for e-commerce or something. It turns out that it's actually completely a different, like fundamentally different product under the hood. So you need mm. a completely different dashboard. The sign-up flow, everything is just different enough for, for it to need to be a separate company. And uh, at that point, we decided, yeah, let's uh, roll this out into its own thing. And uh, yeah, that's that's how we got started. Are you? Would you consider yourself a developer? Um, I mean, would I consider myself a developer? Just about, yes. Would developers consider me a developer? I'm not so sure. <laughs> Manuel definitely doesn't. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I look, I, I've I have built software that's been in the hands of users that they have paid me for without sure. having anyone else on the team. So like, I have been paid to be a developer before, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah but I'm not a good one. What a hysterical answer. It's like, uh, hey, so Tim, do you know how to write code? And it's like, uh, when you say write code, do you mean like frame out a website in HTML and screw up some CSS from time to time? Like, yeah, I totally know how to write code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, uh, I imagine it's the same. You've asked people like, are you a writer? It's like, well, I'm not employed to be a writer, but like most yep. of my job is writing. So maybe. Yeah, yeah well, I, um, I only asked that because what's the difference of the functionality between what Sparkloop created and what your partner Manuel, I forget the name of, of the company that you said he had. Um, so let me back up a second. 
Morning Brew right, wrote a really, really cool article. It was almost probably more than a year ago, just about how their referral program was so influential in growing their email list to like a couple million at this point. Um, I'm totally guessing here, but from what you're telling me, the timing of that was pretty in line to when you guys adjusted from Manuel's product to Sparkloop. Um, so with that in context, what was it that the previous product couldn't do that Sparkloop now can do? And why is that so beneficial to newsletter creators? Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't want to get too in the weeds here because I think we sure. may lose some people on the like the details. But uh -huh. basically, if you build a, a generic referral platform, right, you're building like the very basic core functionality and then everything else gets plugged in by APIs. So if you're running a software product, you want to plug in with APIs. If you're running an e-commerce tool, you want to plug in and you want to do very different things with it. So with an, an email tool, what you really want is like, the, you want the email platform to be in sync all the time with the, with, the referral to, with the referral tool, right? So you want whenever someone signs up for them to get a referral code that they can use without you having to build like a whole API to support that from your email platform. Uh, and then you want that to be sent back into the email and you want people to be able to click through and share from the email itself, right? And that's not like, it's not particularly difficult. There's some really difficult like anti-fraud stuff. And you know, yeah. when you have like millions of subscribers it becomes a real pain and like, that's you know <laughs> why people pay us a lot of money, but it's not like rocket science. It's just that it's like, it's like saying, you know, why, like, why didn't your, actually you, you guys don't call it a pen knife, right? You call it like a pocket knife with like the corkscrew and everything on it, right? Pocket knife. Yeah. It's like, wh why, why didn't the po pocket knife work for cutting bread? And it's like, well, you, you can cut a, like you can cut bread with a pocket knife. It's just, why would you? It's yeah. It makes no sense to do that if you have the choice to, to do it with something else. Yeah, so we're talking about specialization, basically. The, the, so correct me if I'm wrong. The newsletter industry is booming right now. And in yeah. my estimation, I, I think, let me go out on a limb and predict something. I don't think it's going anywhere for the simple reason that the email app on everybody's phone is still the most used app that there is. Uh, and also because I think it's so interesting how protective we are of our email addresses. You know, like how many times do we all get spammed every time? Like how many times do we all get spammed every day? But for some reason, when a spam infiltrates our email, it feels really visceral, right? Like <laughs> we get angry about it. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's funny to think of it in this way, but email is a very personal place. Um, and so writers and creators who are able to, build that relationship and build a, a personal, as you said earlier, like a trust, a relationship built on trust. Um, it presents itself in a very opportunistic light for the content creator because the conversion on whatever it is that the, uh, that the intention of that newsletter is, is going to be very high. So the, the timing of it is, is really, really good. And where I'm going with this, some of the mistakes that I see with software products, I think Moz was a really good example, is they see something that they specialize in and they see like, oh, well, we could add this or we could add this or we could add this, where 
um, I guess using the Moz example, the reason why SEM Rush ultimately won was because they just said like, we're an SEO tool and we're going to be the best SEO tool we possibly can be. With Sparkloop, do you see yourself branching out into different directions or do you see yourself just being the best email referral tool that you possibly can? I mean, I, I mean I'll never say never. But we, we have absolutely no plans at the moment to be anything other than an email referral tool. I think, like you said, it's just too much of an advantage, right? You you can't be the best at everything. Um, you know, if you try and compete with Sparkloop and other platforms have, right, they, they took the same decision that kind of me and Manuel did. And instead of doing what we did and building it out completely, they said, well, let's just slap the words newsletter referral tool onto our marketing site and say that it does that as well. And I mean, they get customers. But three months later, those customers realize it's not actually doing what they said it was supposed to. And then they come over to us. So it's actually a really good lead generation. So as far as it just takes, it takes a bit longer. I think you just can't, you don't have the focus with that, right? If you're, it depends again, but if you're selling a tool that kind of, or a product that's, it's the same kind of functionality at its core, I guess, but you're selling it to software developers on one side and to e-commerce store owners on the other side and to newsletter creators somewhere else. Like you can't be the best at marketing to all three. You can't give all three of them like the, the focus and the priority that they deserve um, marketing wise, but also with the product. And it, it just shows through, like, I think you have to kind of pick one at least to, to begin with. I mean, maybe five years, 10 years down the line, maybe that can change, but uh, yeah, I think you kind of kind of land and expand, right? Be the best at something first. Yeah, you said a word that I think about all the time, focus. How, well, let me just ask you on a personal level. Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever struggle with keeping your ideas narrow about what you're aiming at? Do you ever go off on mental tangents about all the things that you could create and work on and this idea and that idea? Um, I, I'm, I'm asking that personally. Like, is Do you consider yourself a focused person when it comes to your product or do you have to reel it in a lot? That's an interesting question. So on a very basic, like general level with different things that I want to do, not related to Sparkloop, I'm not so focused. Like I get distracted by, like I have that brain where I just see kind of business opportunities or cool things Everywhere. to do all the time. Right. And cool. I, I want to go and do them. So in that sense, I'm not so focused. What really helps me and especially with like within a business is that I am ridiculously lazy. So my go-to instinct, which really helps, especially with marketing, is to say, no, like it's not what would happen if we did this. It's more, do we need to do this, right? Like here are our goals. Let's do exactly what we need to do and nothing else and nothing more. And that almost makes up for being not so focused, I find. it's It helps as well because manual, I think, is is especially working with a co-founder now for the first time in a while, um, he's more of the opposite approach, right? He'll come with a marketing thing and be like, I saw this cool thing that someone's doing. Um, I'd love, why, why don't we do this as well? And then it's it's so useful to have someone there who just goes, well, why would we do that? Like, <laughs> that sounds like work to me. Like, why? why? And yeah, that helps a lot, I think. I don't know, how, how do you find it? Are you like, um, I mean, I know you, you must find it super difficult to, to focus, especially now with the, like with the whole coronavirus thing going on. That's, that's been a, a real drain on my focus for sure as well. I'm getting better at it. Um, I'm, I had a mentor say to me some years ago that every time you say 
yes to something, you're saying no to other things. Yeah. And uh, I try to tell myself that a lot where it's, there's an opportunity cost to saying yes to new opportunities. And sometimes with patience, if you just stay out of the way of, if I stay out of my own way, the right things come to me in the right time. Whereas if I'm trying to force shit, right. If I'm like, yeah. Oh, I got this new thing. I can make this happen. Um, some people can have that personality where they're just bullish enough to make things happen. Right. I, that's not me. Um, I'm usually bullish enough to make a fucking mess and then <laughs> like <laughs> think like, why did I do this? Like I just made my life more difficult. Um, yeah. But it's I, interesting. I, go ahead. I was just going to say that's, there's that like, there's that focus in the sense of you want to give yourself time for serendipity, right? You want to give yourself space to try out different stuff. And I'm totally on board with that. But also what you said there is it's, I think that comes down to FOMO where it's like, yes, you could do this right now, but just because it's urgent doesn't mean we actually have to like pull focus and go and do that thing. It's something else just as exciting and just as urgent will come along tomorrow or in a week and that thing won't matter anymore. And I, I've definitely been burned by that in the past. And I'm getting a lot better at ignoring that. Me too. And FOMO is like a buzzword, right? It's like a meme. However, this goes back to, I think, a little bit of our conversation before when we're all allowed to exist in these interconnected space stations, you can't help but see all of the things that people are doing. And then naturally, the first instinct is think like they're doing it better than me. And that means that I need to change. And it's like a superpower to I've been thinking a lot about this concept of aim and knowing what you're aiming at. Um, because the, the smaller your aim, the smaller the focus. It's like aim small, miss small. I don't know if you've ever seen The Patriot. It's uh, with um, uh, Mel Gibson. It's a, a movie. But anyway, and so with everybody doing all of these cool things, it's impossible to not think to yourself, maybe I'm not necessarily doing something wrong, but maybe I'm going in the right direction. Maybe I'm aiming at the wrong thing. And uh, it takes maturity, I think, to just go through it enough times to realize to yourself, like, no, this person actually isn't any better than me. Or um, sure, that seems cool, but that's not my path or, or my favorite one. Yes, that seems cool. But if I do it, I'm going to find out that it wasn't actually all that I thought it was in the first place, right? You play these mental games on yourself. So, um, so my experience, especially the last two or three years, has been not wrestling with that um, doubt and emotion so much, but rather just, I'm not sure, just being cool with where I'm at. You know, I think maybe I'm just growing as a person. Yeah, totally. I think that's such a healthy way of thinking about things that if you get up in the morning and you end the day or you end the week having made a step forward, then, and you keep doing that, then I think, you know, everything's going to gonna turn out pretty okay. That's my dad said something to me. Uh, a while ago, he said, look, just get something done every day. And that's all you got to do where if you move forward, like, I think that life is kind of like a down escalator, you know, like if you stand still, then you're actually going backwards because the rest of life, the momentum of life isn't waiting for you. And um, so take Copyblogger, for instance, when I first came into Copyblogger, I had so many ideas. I mean, Copyblogger meant the world to me, right? This website like changed my life. It helped me become a content creator. It helped me build my 
my financial security. And so of course you get into it and you get excited. And then, you know, I see what you're doing. I think like, wow, there's so many email plays that we can do with CopyBlocker. Um, for instance, there's a, a, a website called Nest Labs, which I think is really cool. Um, this woman is creating all this really cool content about um, how we think and thinking about how we think. And so I say to myself, oh, sure, thinking has to do with writing. I can implement some of that where the second I finally had the realization to say to myself, you know what, CopyBlogger is for writers and we're going to create, we're going to speak only to these people and all we're going to think about is creating the best membership site that we can for people that want to be better writers. Um, not only did the business start to grow, but all of the angst that comes with all those ideas, right? Just completely went away because now I know what I got to do. It's like every single day, I just have to make the best membership site for writers that I possibly can. And it's great. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, it's great to hear a, a shout out for, for Anne Law from, from Nest Labs as well. Uh, yeah, she's going to be on my podcast in like two weeks. She's really blowing up. Um, so I think she's being asked to be on a lot of shows a lot, but um, she's a really impressive person. I was amazed to find out that English wasn't even her first language because she writes so like proficiently. Yeah, totally, totally. And uh, I mean, all the best people do tend to be Sparkloop users. So what can I say? She uses, she uses Sparkloop? Yeah. Anyone who's anyone uses Sparkloop nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. But yeah, she, she, she is a Sparkloop user. Yeah. Oh my God, Louis, that was amazing. Very cool. Um, well, let, let's get back to Sparkloop for a little bit. I am always weary to ask this question because it's a loaded question in a way. And especially after what we just talked about with being focused, um, I think it can be dangerous to think too far into the future. With that being said, everybody has dreams and ambitions about where, where they want their product to be. Uh, what do you see for Sparkloop? Like what's your two-year vision, five-year vision, if you, if you think that far ahead? Yeah, I don't know that we've thought that far ahead, really. I think what's important to us is, I mean, we see, let me pull that back. So the challenge with Sparkloop is that it's a very aspirational product. Yeah. We help people to grow their email lists faster. And people who really want to grow their email lists faster are people with very small email lists because they're desperate to get to advertising and, and you know, just having a real business around their newsletter or around their email list. Unfortunately, if your email list is very small, a referral program isn't really going to be so great for you. It's, I mean, it will, it will help. It will, you know, it will, it will work, but it's not going to suddenly turn you into like this, you know, million subscriber email list overnight. If you have like 500 subscribers. So our focus is mainly on the larger creators and the professionals, right? The digital media companies who can come in, they have someone who really understands marketing, probably understands a bit about referral programs and, you know, that kind of acquisition and can just get started with the software, gets a bit of help from us, from our, exp our expertise, from our team and can go and just like knock it out of the park and is happy to, to pay hundreds of dollars to, to use it. So that's kind of where we've, we're really focusing over the next couple of, of months, probably over the next year or two, I think is just to make sure, yes, we could theoretically have, you know, this could be something where everybody has Sparkloop and you know everyone's using it in their newsletter. Probably not the most useful thing for us or for them. I think you know really what where we want to be 
kind of mid to long term is just if you're going to add a referral program to your email list and nearly everybody should, and you have a serious size newsletter that you're making money from, then you should be over at Sparkloop and there shouldn't really be any excuse to be, to be anywhere else. It's uh, yeah. I agree with that. There's a weird product market fit thing there that I never thought about. Um, it's almost like the ideal person. I shouldn't say the ideal person, the ideal customer probably starting around like five, 10,000 subscribers. Right. And yeah. then ideally, um, cause a referral program is, is ultimately going to be compounding because the more emails yeah. you get, the more referrals you get to the more emails you get to the more referrals you get. So I can imagine how it would be a, um, like you got to almost stumble through figuring out the ideal prospect for Sparkloop. And it sounds to me, I don't want to speak for you, but it sounds to me like maybe the last couple of months year, you've been figuring that out. And now that you really know, like this is the ideal person for Sparkloop, um, you can start being more accurate with that aim, like we just talked about. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's there's always like different directions you can be pulled into, right? Like, do we double down on the software side? And we're really all about just making the best software and maybe even, you know, different email platforms will plug into us and kind of pay us to white label. That's something we're definitely exploring. Um, or do we go completely the other route and say, well, we're almost an agency on top of Sparkloop and that's where most of our money comes from, where the, the really big names with, you know, 10 million email lists come to us and pay us ridiculous amounts a month for us to just take care of everything because we do have that expertise at the moment. So it's, I don't know where it's going to go, but I think the important thing is to kind of like have your ear to the ground, right? To be listening to what people are saying and to just push forward and kind of fumble your way through. And I think that probably if I, if I look at it at the moment, I'm sure you felt this way with, with copy feel like you're standing there and there are like five or six different paths and they all probably lead somewhere really cool. Uh, you just have to kind of choose one and kind of enjoy the, <laughs> enjoy the ride. I guess it's, it's difficult to change it later, but yeah. Certainly. I, I never thought about the agency side of things. You could almost have two different departments because if you got email lists of 2 million or more, it's really, really difficult for them to actually manage the referral program because it'll be overwhelming. You know, every single day it'll be like boing, 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 boing. So um, I hope you like those sound effects, by the way. So <laughs> I think that uh, that is really cool. That's something I never thought about. So it's almost like the the SaaS side has some real legs to it. And it's almost called like a, I've been exploring with this idea of like a system as a service side where like, yes, you are an agency, but it's not necessarily some, some customized media agency where it's all custom work. It's like, here's this one service that we replicate over and over and over again for a very specific um, um, client. And uh, I, I think that's really cool, man. I think that makes a lot of sense. Like a, a, a system as a service where your whole role for larger enterprise email accounts is just to manage the software and the logistics of the referral program for them. That could, that could really work. I, I, th I think that's dope. Yeah. Thanks. No, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what, <laughs> I guess what happens, what comes out of it. I think there's something I see a lot, especially with founders, mainly technical ones when they get started, right? It's, it's software as a service. It includes a service component totally. and especially as, software becomes easier and easier to build and more and more people are building software. 
the knowledge inherent in the service part of it becomes more and more valuable. And if you have a really big company that you're selling to, especially when it comes to, to marketing and growth, I mean, they're going to be outsourcing AdWords. They're going to be outsourcing a lot of their Facebook growth. Like they want to have an expert that they can just plug into and pay for results. And I don't know if that's us. I don't, you know, maybe that for us, that could be an interesting model as well. But it's, there's, I mean, there's, there's so many different kind of ways to, to go down that route, I guess. Isn't that so interesting how the whole thing comes back around where 10 years ago, SaaS products were like the holy grail because it's leverage, right? You get this monthly recurring marketing and I hardly even have, ever have to talk to anybody. And I build this product once and I put all this front end labor and then rocket ship, right? And then 10 years later, now that, like you said, the ability to code software is easier now the intangible isn't the software, but it's the service that comes with the software, which I suppose brings us full circle again to this conversation where, uh, where the idea of little conversations, little idiosyncratic relationships that you build even with customers who don't, I'll give you a perfect example, FreshBooks. When I, I first was using FreshBooks six years ago, I was always so blown away by the fact that you could actually just call them. And uh, they're a multi, multi-million dollar SaaS company, they don't need to do customer service, but ultimately QuickBooks was a better, more robust product. And I stayed with FreshBooks maybe three years longer than I should have, just because I knew that the service implement that came with the software made it easy for me to answer my questions. And I think it's so interesting how the whole entire thing has come back around full circle. Yeah. I mean, people don't want features. They want benefits, right? They don't want your software, they want the results they will get from using your software. And mm -hmm. I mean, they don't care how the, the sausage is made really, right? Like, it's not like they're not judging software based on the quality of the software itself. They're judging it based on the results. And that includes obviously like frustration if it's annoying to use yep. and like time wasted, of course. But really, I mean, you know, the ideal thing, especially in marketing is just, I'm going to press a button over here and results are going to pour out in terms of cash and stuff on the <laughs> other end. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the cash button. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that the button we're all selling to each other? Yeah. Push this exactly. button. It's got cash in it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Ask though. Bring yeah, that great. around with me. Yeah. All right, Louie. Well, uh, I really, really enjoyed, um, our conversation. I, I imagine that you and I are two guys that, uh, if we were to meet for coffee in Portugal sometime, we could sit and, and shoot ideas back and forth for hours. Um, I, I love what you're building. I'm excited to implement it into Coffee Blogger. Uh, I, I'm glad that I got to get under the hood with the process on uh, how this all came into fruition. Um, and, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for the conversation. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me. Sure. So before we sign off, um, we got Louis Nichols on Twitter. I'll put everything on the show notes on timstods.com, sparkloop.com. Sparkloop.app. Sparkloop. We don't have the .com, unfortunately. No, no, no. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Forgive me. I even had the website pulled up and, um, and I just so used to saying .com. So sparkloop.app. And uh, I'll have all of that in the show notes at, at timstods.com slash podcast. Louis, once again, thank you so much for your time. Man. I really appreciate it. Take care. Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. 
please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.